For the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series that I've called Resolved. And the idea behind this series is that there are few decisions that you make all the time, and there are other decisions that you need to just make once. For example, here in our church, we make an annual decision of membership. If you want to be a member of our church, it's a decision that you have to make once every year. You have to make that decision all over again. And in January of every year, we have certain people in our church who decide, you know what, I don't want to renew that commitment for this next year. It's time for me to move on to another church family or something like that. It happens every year for us in January because we give people that opportunity to reevaluate whether or not they're committed for this next year. And then in February, we say, okay, who's in? And we make these commitments. And that's a commitment that we want to make annually. Annually. But that's the commitment to this church that we're making annually. Your commitment to God is a commitment that I want you to make once and never have to make it again. It needs to be the kind of commitment that is resolved. It's in the past. It's done. It's over. And so let me remind you of the four key commitments that we've been asking you to make over these past couple of weeks. It all starts with understanding Jesus. And here's the verse that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew that Jerusalem was going to be the place where he would be killed. Everybody else knew that Jerusalem was the place where Jesus would be killed. And so everybody was saying to Jesus, Don't go to Jerusalem. They're trying to kill you there. And Jesus says, No, I'm locked in. He fixed his face on going to Jerusalem. He set himself in that direction and no one was going to change his mind. No one was going to change his decision. That's the kind of resolve we want in our lives. And so here are the four things that I've been asking you to resolve. Number one, resolve. In my life, God will be first. God is first, not me. Number two, in my life, God's family is going to be my family. Number three, God is creating me. I am resolved to the fact, I'm firmly planted in the fact that God gets to shape my life. And that if I experience some hardship, I look at God and I say, God, I'm glad you're shaping my life. And if I experience something glorious, I look at God and I say, God, I'm glad you're shaping my life. God is constantly in a process of creating me and I embrace that fact. And then fourth, the commitment, the resolve says, I will be a blessing. I'm going to make my life a blessing for other people more than being a blessing recipient. I want to be a blessing maker. These are the four commitments that I think we need to have settled in our lives. So much so that it's not just good intention, it's resolve. And so to state the obvious, something that I've already kind of mentioned already, resolve equals commitment. Today we call it Commitment Sunday. Because we are trying to take these resolutions, we're trying to lock them down and say, okay, today's the day I'm locking them down, today's the day I'm making the commitment all in, all the way, for real. But we're hesitant when it comes to commitment, so I want to talk about that for a little bit. Reasons why we don't make commitments. Um, I'm going to start by letting you know that uh, this, about a week ago, two weeks really, I think, I was invited to participate in a preaching competition. There's a group of pastors in this town that call themselves the Pastors Alliance. And they um, are mostly African-American churches and mostly African-American pastors. And they have invited me to participate in a 10-minute preaching WrestleMania showdown. Oh, yeah. 
It's 10 minutes of a sermon. They give you a topic. Topics like, don't tap out. They give you a topic, and then you have to come with a 10-minute message, and you throw down the message, and then they award, I'm not joking, a belt. There's a championship belt that they award that one dude has. And so they award this belt, and then at the end of the evening, they watch WrestleMania together. And they told me about this, and I was like, oh, that sounds so much fun. Because, see, I think it does sound fun. It sounds ludicrous is what it sounds like. But I just think that also sounds fun. So I'm like, well, that sounds like a whole lot of fun. And then they said, so do you want to do it? And I was like, um, I don't know. So they sent me an email and a Facebook message. And they're like, what passage are you choosing? And, and I'm a little hesitant to make this commitment. And there are three reasons I'm hesitant to make the commitment. Reason number one I'm hesitant is that I'm not convinced that I can do the job I want to do. You know, I have standards for myself, and when it comes to, like, preaching kind of stuff and, you know, a short message or something, I have standards for myself, and I'm not exactly sure I'm going to be able to, to do the job that I want to do. I'm not sure that given only 10 minutes and just a couple weeks of time in that kind of environment, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do the job I want to do. Hesitation number two. I'm not sure I'm going to impress these people. I'm a little nervous about that. Because after all, when I'm thinking about this, uh, I have 10 minutes, and you need to know something about me. I don't ever enter a competition unless I am guaranteed around 80% to win. I don't like losing. And in fact, I don't like almost winning. It's like for me, I, I want to win. And if someone legitimately beats me, then I can be fine with that. But if someone's, if they're not like just seriously better than I am at whatever it is that happens to be happening, then I want to win. And so I don't want to enter into the thing unless I have like an 80% confidence that I could actually win this thing. And so in this particular situation, making a commitment, I'm not exactly sure that I could win the belt. I don't really want the belt. But I'm not sure I could win it anyway. And then my third hesitation is what if I make the commitment and between now and the day of the commitment, something else comes up? What if I make the commitment and then before I reach the actual event, something else comes up that's either more important or something else comes up that maybe is more desirable to do? And so I'm not sure I want to make the commitment. Oh, and there's, there's another thing. It's really part of the second one. You see, in order to win, all these other preachers are bringing members of their congregation and so then as these guys are doing the preaching, then the members of the congregation are making noise. You know what I mean? And so... Frankly, you guys aren't that good. You know, I'm just, I'm just being real with you. I'm just being real. I don't know if we could win. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of loud sometimes, but, uh, you haven't seen some of these churches I've been to. I mean, there's some volume that happens. So anyway, I am hesitant to participate in this preaching competition for these three reasons. I'm not sure I can do the job I want to do. I'm not sure I can impress the people that I want to impress. And I'm not sure that I might not have something better come along. 
And the truth of the matter is that we face these three situations with every commitment that we make. I know you've been there before. I know you had an opportunity to make a commitment and you entered into it and you got right up to the edge and you said, no, I don't think I can do a good enough job. No, I don't think I'm going to impress the people that I really want to impress and there might be something better anyway, so I'm just not going to step into it. I'm going to step on this, I'm going to stay on this side of the commitment line. But if we're honest with ourselves, there are many times where we put one foot over the commitment line, where we're like halfway in and we're like, I'm just going to do this thing until it's proven to me that I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm just going to do this thing until I realize that the other people around me aren't impressed with me. I'm just going to do this thing until something better comes along. And so I'm going to make an ish commitment. I'm going to make a halfway commitment. I'm going to step into this thing just a little bit, but I'm just going to wait around until one of these excuses shows up and then I'm gone. Then I'm out. I mean, we do that all the time in all kinds of things. People make that kind of commitment when it comes to church, when it comes to family, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to work. They make this kind of half-hearted commitment all the time. But you know as well as I do that those rare moments in your life where you went all in, you went all in. And then you gave it your all. And you poured your heart and your soul into it. And it might not have been as perfect as you wanted it to be, but you felt good about yourself, the fact that you put in all that effort and you did your best work. And the people who loved you saw it. And they recognized it. And they said, I am so proud that you jumped in, you committed, you went all the way, you did the thing. And then, at the end of it all, you come over here and you're like, yeah, it worked. My commitment has actually worked. But it's only when you go all the way in. It's only when you go all the way in and you make that full-on commitment that then you accomplish the goals you want to accomplish. That then you impress the people who really matter to you. It's only when you jump all the way in that all those other things that compete with your interests are less interesting. We all know that. There's something that happens when true commitment is made that strengthens our resolve to actually follow through all the way to the end. I want to tell you today that there's probably a hesitation you feel when it comes to this same exact situation when it comes to your relationship with God and when it comes to your relationship with this church. And I want to give you one clear bit of encouragement that comes from four or five different passages of Scripture. It starts with a passage where we focus in on something about Jesus. But it's one of my go-to passages when I think about commitment. It's from Mark chapter 14. I'm going to put it up on the screen, but uh, it's also on your live event notes if you're using our app. And I also want to just read it to you. It's from Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's my line. I mean, you've heard that line so many times. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's like the January line. That's the line that shows up every January. It shows up on Nike commercials. It shows up everywhere. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is where I live. And what I say to myself is, yeah, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Ergo, I have an excuse to not make the commitment. Because if I made the commitment, it would prove to myself that my flesh isn't very weak. And it feels a whole lot better if I don't ever have to prove that to myself. It feels a whole lot better if I can just live in the delusion that I'm okay. The spirit is willing, I just want to keep it there. I just want to keep it on the level of the spirit is willing. It's only when I make the commitment that I step out to really recognize how weak my flesh is. And so I just don't want to do it. Jesus, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. So I just don't want to make that commitment. I see myself in these disciples and you look at them and you're like, oh man, they couldn't even keep their eyes open for one hour in the middle of the night. Actually, that kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Keep going. Verse 39, once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is one of those passages that preachers love to toy with. Play around with sort of what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in the people's minds and in the people's hearts. But but I just want to recognize something with you. When I read this passage, there's a part of me that really wants to blame the disciples. There's a part of me that wants to think Jesus must be really disappointed with them, you know? But then again, when you actually read the text, there's nothing in there that really seems like Jesus is disappointed. In fact, there's that one line, they were asleep because their eyes were heavy. It doesn't say they were asleep because they were weak-willed. They were asleep because they were weak-minded. They were asleep because they were sinners. They were asleep because they didn't care about Jesus. It just simply says they were asleep because their eyes were heavy. They're just normal people experiencing normal feelings. And it's late at night. And Jesus took them out. I mean, they just had a big meal, the Passover meal. Now Jesus brought them to this mountain. It's kind of chilly. Their eyes are heavy. It's late at night. He says, watch and pray. And then he goes off and who knows what he's doing. He's praying. And so whatever, you've been there before. You tried to pray late at night or early in the morning. And next thing you know, it's later in the morning. Or it's later at night. You've been there. You've tried to do the thing where you close your eyes. And next thing you know, they've been closed. And that's what we find out here. There's this, there's this picture of, of grace that I see where Jesus goes back to the disciples three times, but he doesn't exactly chastise them. He doesn't exactly punish them. He just says, you're asleep again. And then they don't even know what to say because, of course, you don't know what to say. But that's not even the main point of the story. Like, it's fun for us to sort of make fun of the disciples and their lack of ability to follow through on a commitment that they didn't even really make at the beginning. But there's something else I want you to notice. Does Jesus pray for strength for himself? Look at this. This 
Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. He's about ready to be crucified. A form of execution designed by the Romans to be as shameful and painful as it could possibly be. It's designed as death by torture. Slow. Jesus is about ready to experience that. He's about ready to go to that. He knows that this is the path that he has to walk on. And when he prays, what does he pray for? Does he pray for strength? No. Strangely enough, he only prays for one thing. Father, if I could get out of this, I would. That's it. If I could get out of this, I would. But you'll notice, as far as everything else, he is just resolved. Jesus' prayer is a prayer of resolve. It's a prayer with resolve. He is planning to go through with this. And so his prayer is, by the way, Father, if you want to give me an out, I would take it. Otherwise, I'm all in. It's just a prayer of resolve. But there's one other thing. Notice at the very end, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. If you had a person coming up and he was going to betray you to death, and you used the phrase, rise, let's go, which direction are you going in? Away. Rise, let's get out of here. The betrayer's coming. See, that's the amazing thing. Jesus doesn't run away from Judas, nor does he stand in one place waiting for Judas to get to him. Jesus has his face fixed on Jerusalem. He has face fixed on his mission. He has his face fixed on his purpose. Enough. The hour is now. It's time to go. Get up. Let's go. Right to Judas. He goes into the thing. That's resolve. That's commitment. That's all in. Now, there's one other detail about this encounter that I think is brilliant for us. And it helps set us up for the commitment that we're making today. It's a detail that shows up in Luke. Let me show you this prayer scene in Luke. Just a little snippet of it in Luke says this. Jesus, let's go to the next one. Jesus, he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We actually know from the Gospel of John that Jesus' prayer was for you and for me and for all of his followers. But what's fascinating about this line right here is immediately after he says, Father, it's your will that will be done, the Father sends an angel to bring him strength. He doesn't ask for strength, but he gets strength because that's just the way the Heavenly Father works. That's just the way God works. When his followers commit to him, he commits to them. 
When his followers commit to him, he brings strength to them. Even Jesus was strengthened, so much so that he in anguish can pray even more earnestly. The Father's angel strength is actually helping Jesus pray more fervently, even more fervently for you and for me, not for himself, just to pray more fervently. The Father is strengthening him to go through this. Write this down. An angel strengthened Jesus. Now, if he needs to be strengthened, how much more do we? And on top of that, if the Father is willing to strengthen Jesus, how much more will he strengthen anyone else who makes the same kind of commitment? Your will, not my will, angel comes and gives strength. That's not just a promise. That's not just a thing that happened for Jesus. That is a promise that is given to every one of us. Look at this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. An angel gave Jesus strength, but you're going to get the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says, you're going to get the Holy Spirit of God and he's going to empower you. Then what happens in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit miraculously comes in some sort of visible fashion among all the 70 followers of Jesus who were gathered together in this upper room. And so they are gathered together. The Holy Spirit makes a, a miraculous appearance to them. And then immediately after that, Peter goes outside and he starts preaching. Remember just a month ago, Peter's the guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter's the guy who ran away when Jesus was captured. Peter's the guy who was afraid. He was not interested in following Jesus at all when Jesus got arrested. And now a month later, Peter stands up in front of all these people in Jerusalem, the town where Jesus died. He stands up in front of all these people. He points at them and he says, you killed Jesus. Well, if they killed Jesus, can't they kill Peter? He stands in front of them. He says, you killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. And all the people standing around are like, whoa, what do we do about that? Peter says, say you're sorry. Actually, that's kind of what he says. What he actually says is this. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. God says, I want you to repent. That means you turn away from your own way of doing things and you embrace my way of doing things. Repent is when you say, God, you're in charge, not me. God says, I want you to be baptized. That's when you tell other people it's true about you. You're letting the world know it's about God, not me. I'm dead to me. I'm alive because of Jesus. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Do you get it? God says he is giving you a guaranteed promise of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life if you will follow him. Write it down this way. Everyone, everyone who makes a commitment to follow God is given the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You and I are so worried about commitment. I'm not strong enough. My spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I'm not strong enough. So I'll step into the commitment, prove to myself I'm not strong enough, and then quit. 
I'll step into the commitment, prove to myself I'm not good enough, and then I'll quit. I'll step halfway in, prove that I got something better to do, and then I'll quit. But God says, if you step in all the way with me, if you make a commitment, I'm going to give you all the strength that you need. I'm going to carry you all the way through. Take a look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. When Christ Jesus returns, the work will be finished and it's guaranteed to be finished. Do you realize that? God is a God who finishes what he starts. God is a God who if he starts something, he's going to finish it. You and I, we only have one resolution to truly make. God, start. That's it. If you truly make this commitment and you say, God, I'm letting you start your work in my life, he'll finish it. He'll get it done. Our problem is the halfway in kind of thing. And God says, no, that's not how this thing works. This thing works when you repent, when you're baptized, when you turn over your old life and come into my life. This thing happens when you die to your old self and come alive to the new self. Then I will fill you up with my Holy Spirit. Then I will carry you in my arms all the way until the completion of my plan for your life. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be glorious. And today... I want to ask you to step into that commitment because you have a heavenly father who will carry you all the way through and he will empower you all the way to the end of this commitment. And so there are two major things you need to get settled today. Number one, your commitment to God. And number two, your commitment to this church. I want to start with this, your commitment to God part of it. This little red book is titled Steps to Peace with God. And it's my challenge to you to take this book and to read it through and to decide, are you at peace with God? This is a book that you could equally write the word repentance on the front of it because it's a book that tries to help you walk through the journey of what does it mean to repent? What does it mean to have your heart squared away with God? We're going to have copies of this book available on our little blue table out there. And I want you, after you're done with it, to read through it with someone else. It's just a simple book that says, God loves you so much. He has a plan for your life, but you chose other things. You chose to do things your own way. But God loves you so much, he sent his son to die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and wiped away. And so that you could enter into eternity with your heavenly father. That's what this book is all about. And it's also a way for you to share it with someone else about the difference that God can make in a person's life. That's the commitment between you and God. But then this little card represents your commitment to this church. And so I want to walk you through the details of this card. On the front side, there are two check boxes. I checked the top one, but you don't have to. We've got two of them. You can check either one of them if you want. The top one is the membership commitment. The bottom one is the associate commitment. And so let me talk through what those two things are. In our church, if you want to hang out with us for a year, we love it. We just want you to let us know. 
We want you to let us know that you're making a time-based commitment. You're going to hang out with us for a year. You can't make the full membership commitment, but you want to hang out with us for a year and explore these things. We call that the associate covenant. And it reads like this. The associate says, with a clear conviction that God's will for me involves fellowship with the people of Lafayette Community Church, I commit to use this year to explore God's simple commands to put him first, join his family, grow like Jesus, and serve others. We're just asking for you to let us know that you're making a commitment to learn. You're making a commitment to grow. You're making a commitment to take your next steps in this context with us. If you can't make this commitment, that's fine. You can hang out with us any Sunday you want. We love having you here. We love having you as part of the groups, part of our ministry teams, things like that. But if you want to let us know you're in for this year, you can sign this associate covenant. But now I want to walk you through what our membership covenant is. And this is because we have high expectations for the people who would call themselves members of our church. And so the covenant is much longer. It's split up into four sections. We use the metaphors of air, fire, earth, and water to help us remember what these sections are all about. The first one is the air covenant, and it says this. God is my air, reminding me that, you know, air is the most important thing in my life. You can take away my food, you can take away my water, you can take away all kinds of stuff, but if you take away my air, well, that's pretty much where I end. And so God must be the most important thing in my life. In every aspect of my life, God comes first. His word is my only authority. His son is my only salvation. His glory is my greatest desire. I give him the first of my every opportunity. That's the basic understanding of what it means to put God first. But if you want to be a member of our church, we go specific. Specifically, I have given my life over to Jesus as my Savior and Lord. That's repentance. I have followed him in the waters of baptism. That's being baptized like Jesus was. I will submit my life to the mandates of the Bible, stand up for God's honor, and invest the first portion of my time, talent, and treasures in the work of his kingdom. That means I'm going to take the first portion of whatever blessing comes into my life, and I'm going to redirect it right back to God. The first amount of my time, I need to somehow find a way to carve out for God. The first amount of my money, I'm going to carve out for God. The first amount of my talent, I'm going to carve out for God somehow. If you want to make this commitment... You're 25% of the way to being a member. Well, assuming you've already taken the class and, you know, filled out the other form and stuff. But anyway, let's go on to the next one. God's family fuels my fire. The spirit dwells in me, but his power is revealed in community. I intentionally prioritize Christian relationships because I have something to give and something to receive. We use fire as the metaphor for that because I like to cook with charcoal. And you put one charcoal briquette in your grill and you light it with a whole can of lighter fluid, it's not going to cook your steak. But you get a lot of those things together with just a little bit of fire starter, and you got something really good happening. Man, I'm hungry. I think I'm... Anyway, God's family fuels my fire. If you want to be a member of our church specifically, that means this. I affirm the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life and heed the guidance he gives through the counsel of others in this church. That means I got to listen to people in this church. Yup. I will view this community as my spiritual family and offer my time, talent, and treasure here before serving or giving elsewhere. That means I'm going to prioritize this stuff for God, and I'm going to use it around here. 
I will prioritize the weekly gatherings for worship and join a community group. I will pray for and support my leaders, love my fellow believers, and vigorously defend the unity of this church. If you want to make this commitment, that means we expect you're going to be part of the stuff that happens around here. You're going to be here on Sundays. You're going to be part of a community group, and you're going to defend the unity of this church. The third statement, we call it the earth statement because I'm just a ball of dirt that God has shaped into a miracle. And so... It says this, I am God's earth. God is creating me. I started as dust, but I'm becoming like Jesus. I rejoice in trials and hardships because Christ suffered for me, and I'm a living sacrifice transformed by the truths of God. If you want to be a member around here specifically, that means I will pursue opportunities for spiritual growth. I will root out sin in my life through regular self-examination and confession of sin, both to God and to accountability partners, and in all areas of uncertainty. I will submit first to the clear teaching of the Bible, then to the leaders God has placed over me, and finally, after prayer, to my own conscience. We actually believe that. We believe that the way we grow is to pay attention to God's clear teaching, to submit ourselves to godly leaders, to prayerfully address the situations that we face, and only after all of that, pay attention to yourself. (laughs) That I pay attention to my own conscience at the end of the journey is how I grow. When I pay attention to my own conscience at the beginning of the problem, that's how I stay the same. And then finally... We call it the water commitment. Water is a symbol of refreshment. The world needs my water. I have the living water in me. Infinite refreshment is mine in Christ, and I unlock it in me when I give it to others. I eagerly risk embarrassment to offer others the living water of Jesus. And in our context, that means specifically, I employ everything I am and everything I have for the benefit of others, beginning in this church and extending to the world around me. To help others fall, find full life in Christ, I will work to serve them, befriend them, share my faith with them, invite them to join me in this church, and help them know the gospel so they too can experience the life I've been given. I will rely on God to refresh me as I strive to refresh others. That's the second time this little booklet shows up. The booklet is how you can present the good news of Jesus to someone else. And I encourage you to do so so that you can be part of that refreshment that we want to do. Listen, now's your chance. You've got a number of commitments that you can make in this moment. For some of you, this commitment time is for you to say, Jesus, I'm really yours. I'm giving my life to you. What's my next step? You do that right in your chair. You pray. You say, God, I'm turning my life over to you. I need forgiveness. Maybe you come forward and uh, ask for prayer from one of the two people who will be standing up at our front to be our, our prayer counselors today. Maybe you, maybe you ask for prayer for one of those things. But maybe today that's your commitment. For some of you, your commitment is going to be, I need to get baptized. It's about time for me to, to take that step. Like I said, we're going to have the tank up for next week. So, you know, we can, we can do that. For some of you, your commitment today is to become an associate. You're like, I kind of like these people. The questions on Sunday are weird, but, you know, I kind of like these people. I'm going to hang out with these people this year. I'm going to sign that associate commitment. And for some of you, it's the membership. And you're going to say, I am all in. This year, I am all in. Now, Grant, I know that some of the things that we read today in that specifically statement might not be 100% true for you today. 
But maybe that's the commitment you're making. And you say, I want to step into that because I believe and I can trust that God will give me strength as I do so. Now's your opportunity. We're going to have the communion up front here. Please come forward and receive once again Jesus into your life. We're going to have our offering baskets here. Please come forward and offer back to God in gratitude a portion of what he's given to you. And take this card. And if there's a commitment you're making today on this card, mark it and bring that and put it in the basket and say, God, today you get me. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to have just kind of a, a moment of silence for a while and then the band will come up and close out our time. As we do that, please come forward as you feel ready. Lord God, we just ask that you would move in our lives and you would transform us from the inside out. You would make us today not just individuals, but you would make us into people who together honor you with everything that we are. That as a family together, we could be representative of what it really means to look, live, and act like Jesus. And Father, I pray that this year you would use this church family to do remarkable things in this community to be a blessing to this world around us and to demonstrate what Christians really should be all about. Father, move in our hearts even right now. Speak to us. Help us to understand what commitment we need to make and give us the courage to step in in faith that you will give us the strength when we need it. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We believe that God has a full and fulfilling life in store for you, and we want to help you live it. For videos, resources, and more, visit us online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com. And as always, we want to encourage you to plug into a Christ-following community of faith wherever you are. Life is a journey, and no one should ever walk alone.